They might be giants have been on the road for too long. Too long. And they might be giants aren't even sorry. Not even sorry. And audiences like the shows too much. Too much. And now they might be giants are playing their breakthrough album Flood. All of it. And they still have time for other songs. They're fooling around. Who can stop They Might Be Giants and their liberal rock agenda? Who? No one. This ad was paid for with somebody else's money. Thanks to Best Fiends for supporting Muller, she wrote. Best Fiends is a unique and exciting puzzle experience unlike other puzzle games out there. Best Fiends updates the game monthly with new levels and events so it never gets old. And thanks to the app called Neighbors by Ring for supporting Muller, she wrote. If you want to see what's going on in your neighborhood, text AGPOD to the number 555-888 to download the Neighbors app today. That's AGPOD to 555-888. So to be clear, Mr. Trump has no financial relationships with any Russian oligarchs. That's what he said. That's what I said. That's obviously what our position is. I'm not aware of uh, any of those activities. I have been called a surrogate at a time or two in that campaign, and I didn't have not have communications with the Russians. What do I have to get involved with Putin for? I have nothing to do with Putin. I've never spoken to him. I don't know anything about him other than he will respect me. Russia, if you're listening, I hope you're able to find the 30,000 emails that are missing. So, it is political. You're a communist. No, Mr. Green. Communism is just a red herring. Like all members of the oldest profession, I'm a capitalist. Hello, and welcome to Mueller, She Wrote, and our ongoing special coverage of the redacted Mueller Report. With me today are Jaleesa Johnson. Hello. And Jordan Coburn. Hello. Uh, so how, how are you guys? Good. Good. You just came back from an awesome vacation. I think that's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome vacations are awesome. Uh-huh. I'm excited for this Mueller Report. This is our first one since Lewandowski. Yeah, Yeah, we already covered his parts in the report, but there's some relevant stuff for sure, Mm -hmm. particularly in the in the analysis and what obstruction of justice is. Mm -hmm. It's more so it's in the air, in the air, it's in the air. Yeah, we did. We did begin impeachment hearings this week. Uh, And this is the last part uh, parts of volume or well, section two of volume two. We're going to cover volume two, section two, parts K and L. Um, uh, you know, and they, that includes the president's conduct involving Michael Cohen and then some overarching factual issues. And that's where some of the Lewandowski stuff might come up. We're looking at pages 134 to 158. So if you want to pause and go read it, cool. Otherwise, we'll pretty much read it for you. Uh, we should note that in case you're listening well into the future as we begin the section on Michael Cohen, it was announced last week that Cohen has met with and signed a proffer agreement with Manhattan District Attorney Cy Vance, who has picked up the hush money investigation into whether Trump organization paid two of Trump's mistresses to keep their affairs with the president quiet in the lead up to the 2016 election. Cohen is in prison right now for those campaign finance felonies, uh, and he has named Trump as a conspirator in those crimes. But the case into Trump and the Trump organization was handed off to the Southern District of New York by Mueller, who didn't investigate it. And then it was mysteriously shut down when Bill Barr came on as attorney general. And now Cy Vance has picked it up. And in that case, he has subpoenaed eight years of Trump's tax returns. And of course, Trump filed suit to block that this week. He's got four suits that he's uh, basically suing people who are trying to get his tax returns all across the government, all from sea to shining sea, from California to New York, Sacramento and uh New York um, Manhattan District Attorney and then the House Ways and Means Committee and of course Congress is trying to get their information from Mazars as well. So I just wanted to kind of give you that little context 
for whenever you're listening to this particular episode. So, because this is all about Cohen. So, the Manhattan DA picked up the case, as I said. He's investigating whether the Trump organization broke any New York state laws when it falsified its business records to reflect that their payments to Michael Cohen were for legal fees instead of a reimbursement for the hush money payment. Uh, payments of $130,000. Cohen took out a HELOC to pay those out of his own pocket. Um, there's more surrounding that story, too, including that America Media Inc., and the, that's the Inquirer, participated in a catch-and-kill conspiracy involving these two women, Stormy Daniels and adult film star Karen McDougal. Or, excuse me, Stormy Daniels, the adult film star, and Karen McDougal, a former Playboy playmate. Uh, and American Media Inc. had signed a non-prosecution agreement in the case so that they could provide information to the Southern District without fear of criminal liability. However, AMI and the CEO David Pecker and lawyer Dylan Howard may have violated that non-prosecution agreement when they allegedly blackmailed the owner of the Washington Post and Amazon, Jeff Bezos, threatening to leak dirty photos of him and his mistress, Lauren Sanchez, that were apparently obtained by the Saudis from Bezos's mistress's brother's phone. If Bezos didn't publicly state that the Inquirer and AMI were not politically motivated, they were going to release these photos. And so Bezos just went public on Medium, blew the whole thing up, said, if you want to see the pictures, I'll show them to you. I'm being blackmailed. And part of a non-prosecution is agreement is you're not allowed to keep criming. Mm-hmm. You have to stop criming. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it blows it apart. So, yep. And if that's not enough scandal for you, let's jump into the evidence outlined in Volume 2, Section 2, Part K of the Redacted Mueller Report. Ready? Mm-hmm. Mm. Subsection 1, page 134, is about Trump's awareness and involvement in the Trump Tower Moscow project. It covers the interactions with Cohen as a witness and how they took place against the backdrop of Trump's involvement with the Trump Tower Moscow. As we know, uh, until at least June 2016, the Trump Organization, through Cohen and Felix Sater, pursued the building of a Trump Tower Moscow project in Russia. And the Trump Org had previously attempted another tower uh, in Moscow, but unsuccessfully. And in the fall of 2015, the Trump Org signed a letter of intent for the project. The press got a hold of it uh, in 2017. We all saw it. Or 2018. And by December, Sater was uh, handling negotiations between Cohen and the Russians. Cohen told Mueller he spoke to Trump on several occasions about the project so that Trump knew and he was involved. And in May of 2016, Peskov, who was Pet- uh, Putin's deputy chief of staff and press secretary, had invited Trump to Russia to advance the project, to give the speech, maybe meet with Putin and Medvedev. Cohen also said that Trump told him he'd be willing to travel to Russia if he could get the deal locked and loaded. Apparently, a phrase Trump likes to use all the time. That's like the fourth time I've heard him say that particular phrase. I wonder where he picked it up. The NRA. <laughs> I was going to say, because nobody in his family's ever been in the military. Yeah. It's not a, it's too many bone spurs for locked and loaded. Um, Subsection 2 on page 138 is about Cohen's determination to adhere to a party line distancing Trump from Russia. So Cohen told Mueller he wanted to stay on message, quote unquote, which is why he told the media that Trump, uh, the Trump Tower Moscow negotiations ended in January 2016, rather than at least June, which is when they actually ended. And Cohen recalled this was part of a script or talking points that everyone sort of agreed on and had developed with Trump and others to dismiss the idea of a substantial connection between Trump and Russia. So what Mueller is doing here is establishing that Cohen knows um, that he's not supposed to, that he's supposed to keep a giant separation between Trump, uh, Trump and Russia. And so as part of that, they sort of all sort of agreed with a wink and a nod that the Trump Tower Moscow project ended in 2016 of mm-hmm. January. Mm-hmm. And in that vein, Cohen told Mueller he submitted false statements to Congress about the Trump Tower Moscow. Cohen had entered a joint defense agreement with Trump and others who were part of the Russia investigation. And in the months leading up to his congressional testimony, Cohen spoke several times with Trump's personal counsel who assured him that the joint defense agreement was working well as long as everyone stayed on message. That's like a big thing. Stay on the lying path. Yeah. 
Totally. Mm-hmm. And it just, you know, keep keep on message. And Trump's personal counsel also conveyed that Cohen was protected and uh, would not be if he went rogue. And the president loves you. Uh, if you stay on message, the president has your back. So they've, they've said this on multiple occasions. Uh, in August 2017, Cohen began drafting statements to Congress, the final version of which contained several false statements, including... <laughs> First, the timeline for Trump Tower Moscow. Second, that Cohen never asked Trump to travel to Russia and advance the project, despite overtures from Sater to the contrary. Third, even though Cohen regularly briefed Trump on the status of the project, his statement said Trump was never in contact about the proposal. And fourth, Cohen said he never got a response from Peskov, even though he had a seriously long phone call and they talked well into the night on their beds with their feet up. And no, I'm kidding. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they had, they had a lot of communication and, and it, it was two ways. And they had a phone call about the project. So four giant lies in his congressional testimony. Pretty much everything in there. Right. Giant lie. Yeah. Just trying to cover up the entire thing. Yeah, exactly. And mm-hmm. most importantly, Cohen's statement to Congress was circulated in advance um, around the, the Joint Defense Agreement members and edited by members oh, of God. the Joint Defense Agreement and the lawyers. So do the lawyers, do they have any liability here if they can prove that? Yeah, I don't know. That they altered his statements? Yeah, they weren't. Or suggested uh, changes? I guess ultimately maybe just the responsibility would fall on Cohen himself since he's the person giving it to them. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. What do you think? Do you think it, they could possibly get in trouble at all? I, mm-hmm. I honestly don't, because they didn't get in trouble. Like, no one indicted them. I'm not sure. And they're still, his, some of them are still his lawyers, like Jay Sekulow and what a sweetheart he is. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Cohen told Mueller the reason he submitted false statements to Congress was to minimize links between Trump and Russia with the aim of limiting ongoing Russia investigations. And that's crucial, the aim of limiting ongoing Russia investigations. In October 2017, Cohen testified before Congress, repeated his lies, and phone records show he spoke to Trump's personal counsel after the testimony on both days. And in September, before he testified, Cohen orchestrated the release of his opening statements to Congress. Then he told Mueller that he he did that to shape the narrative and to let other people know who might be witnesses um, that Cohen was saying, you know, basically putting it out there so if anybody else that could be a potential witness in this case knows the story, you know, so he's mm-hmm. putting it out in advance <clears throat> in case anybody else needs the story. <laughs> so, and he said he borrowed, Cohen said he actually borrowed that technique technique from Kushner who released his opening statements because uh, when Kushner released his opening statements to Congress, Trump was like, I like that. I like that. Ugh, I like it a lot. Gross. And so that made Cohen say, oh, I should do that because the boss likes it. And then subsection four on page 144, Trump sends messages of support to Cohen and this this is all the 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 public I don't know ass kissing that Trump does to Cohen uh-huh. before he starts cooperating with the government. Um, <clears throat> so, like in January, three months after he testified, the media reported Cohen arranged the hundred and thirty thousand dollar payment to Stormy. Uh, Mueller says he did not investigate the hush money payments. So that's interesting, right? Because mm. um, he handed them off to the Southern District. Yeah. So the Syvance case could truly just be like the number one fresh start that never even happened. Yep. Until now. Yep, because it was handed off. It was invest. Well, Mueller had the information, handed it off to Southern District. Southern District, it closed as soon as Bill Barr came on in, in April or March and in, in time frame in 2019. And now the Manhattan DA has picked it up. Huh. And Trump's suing. <laughs> so, um, but anyway, yeah. So he, three months after he testified, the media reported on the, that, that um, Stormy Daniels payment. 
but uh, they are relevant. So even though Mueller didn't investigate it, those are relevant to Trump's interactions with Cohen. So they're not so much, he's not so much talking about the payments here. He's more like talking about how he treated Cohen publicly, hmm. if that makes sense, because oh, okay. that's where the obstruction of justice would, would lie. Because <clears throat> he treated him one way before he started cooperating, and he treated him another way after he started cooperating. Mm. We get similar language with Manafort and Flynn. Yeah, and two faced motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally, yeah. totally. And on February 13th, Cohen said publicly that in a private transaction, he used his own personal funds to facilitate the payment, but that neither the Trump organization or the president was party to the transaction. And this is this is hilarious because. We know he came then out like much later and testified to Congress with the checks from the Trump organization that paid him back for legal fees in the amount of $130,000. And that's part of what this Cy Vance case is now, because mm-hmm. they're specifically looking at whether they broke New York state laws, the Trump organization, by falsifying their business records, saying that these payments were for legal fees mm-hmm. and not a reimbursement for an in-kind campaign, con- right. illegal in-kind campaign contribution. Yeah. And you aren't allowed to do that. It's against the law. Mm-hmm. So he also said he didn't get reimbursed for the payment. (laughs) But then again, like I said, on February 27th, he testified that Trump told him to say he was not knowledgeable of the action. And on April... Sorry. Go ahead. It's supposed to be believable that they're just like that big of homies that uh, he would spend that much money. Yeah, that I would... Just without being reimbursed. That I would take a second mortgage out on my house to keep one of your multiple mistresses quiet. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would do that for you guys. probably realize that, yeah. <laughs> I would do that for you guys, totally. Aww, same. Second mortgage, house. If you ever knock anyone oh, up, house money payments. Oh, hey, yeah. that's sweet. Yeah. <laughs> I got your back. Word. Uh, a few days after the search, uh, well, so April 9th, that's when the big raid happened, right? The Cohen raids. Totally unfair. Um, they searched Cohen's hotel and his offices. He was living in a hotel at a time because I think his house was being remodeled. And Trump said, just heard they broke into the offices of one of my personal attorneys because, you know, the cops, mm-hmm. they just break in. Uh, he called it a disgrace and an attack on our country. Uh, who was it that was like, oh, no, wasn't it Roger Stone that was like, no, they knocked on the door. Everyone was really nice. <laughs> yeah, I think it was. I think he said he was treated very, like, kindly throughout the whole ordeal. I bet that's in the redacted Stone part. <laughs> Of, of the like the last section because because yeah they were like broke in broke the door down with AK-47s and, and Stone's like no they knocked and it was, they were mm-hmm. kind they were very nice to me <laughs> a few days after the search Trump called Cohen to check in just checking in bro asked if he was okay and the president told him to hang in there and stay strong gave him a kitten poster hang in there <laughs> Hang in there, baby. And Cohen told Mueller that the other people uh, in touch with Trump also reached out uh, and and recalled. Uh, so basically, Cohen was like, yeah, like th- three of Trump's really good friends called me. First one redacted for privacy purposes, uh, called me up and said uh, uh, he was with the boss in Mar-a-Lago and Trump says he loves you and not to worry. Another redacted person from the Trump organization told Cohen the boss loves you. And a third redacted friend of Trump told him that the boss had his back. Boss, boss, boss very mobster on april 17th uh cohen began speaking with attorney robert costello uh who was with uh, close with giuliani and the lawyer told cohen that he had a a back channel of communication to colludi rudy that's what we call rudy giuliani and that the channel was crucial and must be maintained and on april 20th 420 guys um the times published an article about uh Trump and his treatment of Cohen and Trump responded with a series of tweets that Cohen would never flip like he's a loyal loyal soldier so the New York Times uh, here's what he said New York Times a third rate reporter Uh, they're going out of their way to destroy Michael Cohen and his relationship with me in the hope that he'll flip 
They, they use non-existent sources and a drunk, drugged-up loser who hates Michael, a fine person with a wonderful family. Michael is a businessman for his own account, lawyer, who I have always liked, respected. <laughs> uh, and pe- most people will flip if the government lets them out of trouble, even if it means lying or making up stories. Um, I Sorry, I don't see Michael doing that, despite the horrible witch hunt and the dishonest media. L-O-L. Yeah. To all of that. I like how he puts flip in quotes. Yeah. As if it's not like a real thing that happens all the time. <laughs> like he doesn't want to acknowledge that it's something that could actually happen to him. I feel like the reason he put it in quotes was to make it look like he doesn't use that word all the fucking time. Oh, yeah. Way to throw off the scent. Mm-hmm. I also, it shows how <laughs> delusional he is about like people's trust for, or, you know, like or his, his trust in people. Like he really thought Michael Cohen would be loyal to him. Like, mm-hmm. did he really think that? Or do you think he was just saying that? Because like anyone that works with Michael Cohen would know that. I mean, a, a rational person would be like, this guy's not going to ride with you. Like, <laughs> ride or I die, just think Trump sorta. was so full of himself that he just like was like, yeah, this guy's he's going to be on my side. And ride or get like, a paper cut. No, I've always hated you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Very Cohen like. Yeah. I don't know. The way I kind of see it is that Trump trusts no one. Uh, because no because no one trusts Trump and he just he's just grown up thinking that everyone thinks is very paranoid everyone thinks the same way he does kind of how Nixon was like everyone's out to get him so I got to get him first and I got to get him hard and I got to get him this way and this kind of language I don't think is Trump saying like I trust this guy and he won't flip on me I think that this is threatening language this mm. is if you flip the boss isn't going to love you and that that's makes why a lot he more got sense. all those messages yeah, equally stupid but makes <laughs> equally, a lot more sense yeah equally asshole <laughs> more sense yeah that's kind of how i feel like he doesn't trust anybody he only does that as threats you know what i mean Mm -hmm. do you know who the drunk drugged up loser is that he's referring to no yeah is it calamari i don't i i don't know either i thought about that too i was like i feel like we should like at the time we knew like when it happened uh in in april yeah again this is a great moment for me to imagine obama tweeting out drunk drugged up loser yeah yeah, totally. So absurd. <laughs> what the fuck? Yeah, if we could take a step back and realize that this is the president of the United States. Oh, my God. Mm. And then Cohen even recalled speaking uh, to Trump's lawyer uh, about pardons after the searches in his homes and said he was in an uncomfortable position and wanted to know what was in it for him. Uh, the lawyer told Cohen to stay on message again on message. Everything would be fine. The pardon discussion and that statement convinced Cohen that he would either be pardoned or the investigation would shut down as long as he stayed on message Ugh. and didn't flip on the boss. This makes me feel such fear now anytime anyone ever says everything will be fine. Just reading this and knowing that he was reading this thinking, okay, everything's going to be fine. I just got to stay on message. (laughs) Everything's going to be fine. And now this is being reported and he's fucking in prison. Well, that's clearly what people tell you like when you're shot and they don't know if you're actually going to be fine. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, that's that's one of those. It's going to be fine. Keep talking to me, buddy. It's all going to be okay. Hang in there. Look at me. me. I don't mean to if anyone has actually been shot, but like that's how crazy this is for Cohen. His life is like dramatically altered and Trump is like, yeah, it'll be totally chill. You know, like they're all pretty delusional, but Trump the most. I yeah. still stand by yeah. that. And, and yeah. honestly, I here's my beans. I don't think Trump's going to pardon any of these motherfuckers. I think he's going to promise and and threaten mm-hmm. and never deliver. Yeah, dude. He wants to be a one-man show as mm-hmm. much as he possibly can. Yeah. No, yeah. Lo- like, no loyalties to anyone. 
Totally. Fuck everyone. Yeah, one trick pony. <laughs> He's like, um, you know, like when you're an Uber Eats driver or DoorDash or what Postmates, they, they pull up and they say they're waiting outside to give you something, but then they drive off. That's Trump with a pardon. <laughs> they He's do like, that I was you? here. Oh, totally. They're like, <sighs> yeah, I was here, bro. You know what? They probably were there, to be honest. I get high and I take naps and... You know, I'm not blaming all delivery drivers. Not all who <laughs> Right. But some of them, they might have a nice little scheme going on. But the idea is that, like, you know, Trump's like, yeah, totally. Like, I'll give you your like partner. Par- walk, partner. Like, <laughs> driving off with your food saying they waited. It's <laughs> exactly. right amount of time. And yeah. now they're eating your like, fucking lunch. I had your pardon, dude. I waited five minutes. I tried to call you. You know, like, yeah. No, <laughs> Trump's never going to. He's it. outside in the pardon, Uber yeah. pardons. Just eating your pardon. I'm going to call. Hop U- in. I'm going to call. <laughs> I'm going to call Uber pardons for oh, you. Oh, that's great. Pardon pool. I'm going to send Uber pardons hop, over. Hop Uber, in, everybody. Uber mates or pardon mates. Who would be in pardon pool? Who'd be sharing that ride? Yeah, uh, obviously Manafort. Manafort, Cohen, Cohen, Stone. That's the top. Yeah, that's all you can fit, really, unless you upgrade. Mm-hmm. Well, you'd Wise start with your, like, cheap. joint defense agreements, mini you'd have to get up. You'd have to get then... a pardon XL. <laughs> totally <laughs> yeah. pardon XL. Wow, guys, we did a total millennial reference. Way to go. Yay, that was five. a group effort right Ooh, there. Ooh, two out of three. <laughs> We'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's AG. I spend a lot of time watching the news and politics. That's my passion. Uh, I spend about 60 hours a week on it, steeped in the news about this corrupt administration. But it can get pretty stressful sometimes. And I like to take breaks. I like to meditate. I like to do yoga. And I have found this new puzzle game that I am totally in love with. It's a no-stress, adorable puzzle game called Best Fiends. It's like friends without the R. It's totally casual. You don't need to be a gamer. And trust me, I am not a gamer. My last console was NES. But this is uh, easy, yet you can also make it as challenging and strategic as you want to. Um, It's super fun. It's very relaxing. You collect little fiends and they all have different powers and they're very adorable. You can level them up and it's competitive but not stressful. There's no time clock on it. I hopped on for an hour the other night and it was like meditating. I made it to level 21. I collected a bunch of cute characters um, that basically assist me in destroying evil slugs that have taken over the planet, which I like to imagine are like Mitch McConnell and Jared Kushner. Uh, and it's really unique. Um, like I said, no pressure, no times. You don't have to like finish the level within a certain amount of time. It's not like Tetris where they speed up at the end and you have a heart attack. Um, and so there's no anxiety. It's it's more like a more like a service than a game. And you don't have to take my word for it. It's got five stars on the Apple App Store and Google Play. It's been downloaded more than a hundred million times globally. Uh, it's a simple match three puzzle game, but there is strategy. So like I said, you can be casual about it or you can get super engaged and competitive. And you can play with your friends online too. So engage your brain with fun puzzles and collect a ton of cute characters. They are five-star rated mobile game. You can download it for free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's Friends Without the R, Best Fiends. Check it out. You'll be glad you did. All right, welcome back. We have been going over the time period, the romance, the honeymoon, when Trump was saying nice things publicly about Cohen. But then, dun-dun-dun, Cohen started cooperating with the government. Uh, it was July 2nd, 2018, when public reporting revealed Cohen was willing to cooperate. Uh, he Remember, he was basically fishing. He's like, hey, everybody, I'll cooperate with you. I'll cooperate with the government. And nobody was really biting. Remember, he's just like, come on. I want to he, he like realized, oh, I'm fucked. So he, mm-hmm. he was really trying hard. I remember that. He seemed like desperate almost to get a cooperation agreement going. Uh, and Even after sentencing, he was like that. Yeah. He still is. Mm-hmm. Uh, he just signed a proffer, like we talked about at the beginning of the yeah. show, proffer agreement. Um, and so he was willing to cooperate. He added a lawyer that helped Clinton. That's when he, the name's not mentioned here, but we know it to be Lanny Davis. And a few weeks later, we learned about the the, voc- the voice recording Cohen made with Trump about Karen McDougal. And he mentioned Weisselberg in there and Kevin, uh, which I think is, or Keith, Keith Davidson is mentioned in there. And then the next day, 
after all that happened, Trump responded in July, uh, inconceivable that the government would break into a lawyer's office early in the morning. <laughs> I don't get that. I know, yeah, because all alcoholics are lawyers. <laughs> almost something. unheard of. Yeah, I don't know, almost unheard of. That's when they go, or early in the morning. Uh, even more inconceivable that a lawyer would tape a client, totally unheard of and perhaps illegal. It's not in New York, single party consent. In California, we have dual party consent. You have to get the permission of the other person to record them. Otherwise, it's against the law. But I believe in New York, uh, you don't have to tell them. Hmm. Single party consent. I can consent to record you. Don't need your permission. D.C., dual party consent. So anyway, totally unheard of, perhaps illegal. The good news is that your favorite president did nothing wrong. Uh, So anyway, on July 27th, uh, after the media reported that Cohen was willing to inform investigators that Trump Jr. told his father about the June 9th, 2016 meeting to get dirt on Hillary, the president tweeted, so the fake news doesn't waste my time with dumb questions. No, I did not know if the meeting with the meeting of my son, Don Jr. sounds to me like someone's trying to make up stories in order to get himself out of an unrelated jam. Taxi cabs, maybe. Uh, He even retained Bill and Crooked Hillary's lawyer. Gee, I wonder if they helped him make that choice. So, yeah, his his attitude got a little different after Cohen mm-hmm. started cooperating. Um, after Cohen pleaded guilty and accused the president of directing him to make the hush money payments, that's when Trump tweeted about Manafort. I feel very badly for Paul Manafort and his wonderful family. Justice took a 12-year-old tax case, among other things, applied tremendous pressure on him, and unlike Michael Cohen, he refused to break uh, or make up stories in order to get a deal, in quotes. Um, such respect for a brave man. So, And that timing is important because it was just one day after Cohen made the allegations. So this was as much a message to Cohen as it was to Manafort. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why it's in the Cohen section. Yeah. The Cohen section, aisle seven. Gross. <laughs> On September 17th. Uh, oh, that's almost a year uh, ago. Yeah. Mueller submitted his questions in writing to Trump. Uh, and he attached Cohen's testimony and asked Trump to describe the timing. If he talked about traveling to Russia, um, when did the, when did they stop talking about Trump Tower Moscow? When did he stop um, you know, being involved in it? Whether he directed Cohen to stop discussions about the project? According to Mueller, Trump did not answer the questions. Um, I, I, he said, I had a few conversations with Mr. Cohen on the subject. As I recall, they were brief. They were not memorable. I was not enthused about the proposal. I do not recall any discussion of travel to Russia in connection with it. I do not remember discussing it with anyone else at the Trump organization, although it is possible. I do not recall being aware at the time of any communications between Mr. Cohen and Felix Sater and any Russian government official regarding the letter of intent. Mm-hmm. Sounds like a Dr. Seuss book or something. <laughs> yes, right? I do not like green eggs in hand. Right? Really dystopian Dr. Seuss oh, novel. Totally. Yeah. So that's good observation. The adult books. <laughs> <laughs> uh, on, 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 it, it doesn't get better, just so you know. That, I wouldn't imagine. <laughs> on November 29th, Cohen pleaded guilty to lying to Congress about the Trump Tower Moscow. And the same day, Trump spoke to reporters and said, I decided not to do the project, I decided ultimately not to do it. There would have been nothing wrong if I did do it. If I did do it, there would have been nothing wrong. (laughs) That was my business. It was an option I decided not to do. I decided not to do it. The primary reason, I was focused on running for president. I was running my business while I was campaigning. There was a good chance that I wouldn't have won, in which case Mm. I would have gone back to the business. And why should I lose a lot of opportunities? I remember that. That's the thing about Trump and Trump supporters that I, I don't. I guess talk about enough in my opinion is that he actually says things that are logical on the surface 
you're like, oh yeah, why would you miss out on all that money? But then you think about like the moral ramifications that come with being president and like, I don't know why that gets skated over a lot, I think, with Trump supporters. They're just like, yeah, let him do what he wants. And I'm like, so... But he lied to you for the whole year. Right, yeah. so morals, are just, it's such a hard thing to discuss. That's why we're so polarized is that like there's no one has found, there's no Martin Luther King Jr. of our time. Hmm. That's like the only figure I can think that made like this generational change when it comes to like I don't know politically speaking I I can't think of I think Obama might have come close Obama is close but we need him to come back I know you're taking a break <laughs> he's he's doing things. He you Baby, know fist bump Greta. He's out there. He's Instagramming. All, but yeah, no, really, we me. do need Obama to come back. Just like needed like Missy Elliott for hip hop. Oh, she was so good, and she still is. She oh came back swimming. Oh my uh, god, swimming. And in the Lizzo video, <laughs> so yes. I was thinking about how I was screaming, and she was swinging. Yeah, no, I literally swinging. had so many flashbacks. Screaming that chick who um she was a little girl dancing. Yeah, and the, yeah, she's older now and she's queer. I was like, whoa, times have changed. So, yeah, yeah, you know, you develop opinions and you become an adult. Just to have an artist like Lizzo singing the way that she's singing. Lizzo I wish, too. Yes. I wish we had that when I when I was young. Yeah, Lizzo said someone stole her food too, by the way, her Postmates. Mm. I'm just talking mm. about that. <laughs> her pardon? Did she, someone she dangle a someone Postmates? <laughs> stealing her pardon. Yeah, but then she apologized. She was like, damn, I forgot I'm famous. I just put her on blast on Twitter. <laughs> she's like, uh, I, yeah, they sold Lizzo's food on eBay. Yeah, she forgot her own strength. <laughs> I'm looking at the end of this tweet too and it says, and why should I lose lots of opportunities? I wonder how calculated that language is because specifically the phrase losing opportunities is something <laughs> that white folks, like his white yeah. base constantly is be like harping on oh totally yeah. an opportunity like, cost right like mm-hmm. well like you're losing opportunity to black people right or, or to like brown people in this country or to immigrants mm-hmm. and yeah, illegals yeah. and then that's such a i wonder if that was a smart integration mm-hmm. for his messaging right if there. he has any team of people doing those sample polling or whatever they do yeah i would bet that was one of those like keywords are like this will resonate right. well because the message still comes across and you could say it a thousand different ways but they chose that Very specific yeah, way. Trump, yeah trump is capable of talking points he doesn't stick to them but every now and then you might catch it yeah yeah it's mm-hmm. possible he's actually very good at messaging he'll repeat the same thing over and over how many times have we heard um got your back uh the boss mm-hmm. uh, stay on message um and that's behind the scenes stuff but to the public uh, you know who's going to pay for the wall mexico like he's very you're good right at rep- Wow. He's like the Chris Rock of politicians. Chris Rock always repeats his setup. Uh, yeah. just, to, just to make sure you get it. But I like that approach for Chris Rock. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Um, and so he, aside from that, with the you know, why should I lose opportunities language, which is that's very astute that you point that out. He also called Cohen a weak person and said he was trying to get a reduced sentence. He said, so here's the story. Go back and look at the paper that Michael Cohen wrote before he testified in the House or, or the Senate. Uh, it talked about his position. The president added, even if Cohen was right, it doesn't matter because I was allowed to do whatever I want during the campaign. And again, back to the I can do whatever I want. It's like, how dare you infringe on my, my rights, rights to be uh-huh. whoever I want to yeah. be. That's another thing yeah. that resonates with, with that community. And, and I'm sure we all on the service can resonate with this. But we collectively and I want to say liberals, but it's it's a little more broad than that. Just rational people, <laughs> people with empathy. Like we we have this moral compass that connects us and it leans towards um don't be corrupt. I mean, it's pretty simple. And and for some reason, Trump supporters don't care about corruption as long as their feelings are met. So like our feelings and corruption are like tied together. Like you can't be corrupt and like we can't feel good about it if you're a decent person. That's kind of how it works. So it's like they're a group of non-decent people, really, which is hard to say because obviously I'm biased and that's an insult to them. 
but I can't think of a better way to put it. It's like, <laughs> how many ways do you like s- divide us or, or point out the differences at this point? It's really yeah, boiling I'm, down to the lack of decency and them y- being united by that. Their whole lives have been told to be better and be best and, you know, be nicer and be more tolerant. But they're like, fuck you. This is my guy. Yeah. And, al- and along those lines of what you're saying, I think it's true that, you know, the idea that he's trying to convey to his base here is that you don't want the others to take away what's yours. And, and because they view rights as pie, not something that everyone should just have. Right. Yeah. Because what he, the way that conservatives see it is that if you if you get rights, you're somehow infringing on mine. And, and Terry Crews has how, great... exactly how he thinks. You're right. Yeah, I dude, love that analogy. More I'm sorry, pie shops, employ more bakers. Thank you, Jordan. I was going to say Terry Crews has <laughs> a very just to wrap it up. Yeah, he has a very similar quote that just like sums it up perfectly. He says, "If you think someone's taking away your piece of the pie, just like make your own pie. Like the world is your kitchen. Like exactly like Jordan was saying, you I know, or what AG is saying. Yeah, like that whole idea of it's only one pie is what gets people killed. It's like let's just make more. We're creators. Yeah, we're godly. Like some game. Yeah." Yeah, and uh, I I totally think that you're right on that. And that's kind of how it started coming across after Cohen started cooperating. Because in the weeks that followed, uh, Trump repeatedly implied that Cohen's family members were also guilty of crimes. Uh, And in December, when Cohen was sentenced to three years, Trump tweeted, this is after he gets sentenced for three years, uh, none for lying to Congress. Mueller didn't recommend any time for him. Uh, He said, I never directed Michael Cohen to break the law. Those charges were just agreed to him in order to embarrass the president and get a much reduced prison sentence, Uh, which he did, including the fact that his family was temporarily let off the hook. Uh, as a lawyer, Michael has a great liability to me. I don't know what that means. Yeah, it sounds like a threat in there yeah. somewhere. And, totally um, does. Then on December 16th, the president tweeted, remember Michael Cohen is, uh, only became a rat after the FBI did something which was obviously unthinkable and unheard of uh, until the witch hunt was illegally started. They broke into an attorney's office. So why didn't they break into the DNC to get the server or Crooked's office? God. Uh, and Such when privilege, I know. <laughs> and when Trump learned about Cohen's upcoming testimony in January back then, uh, he that's January of this year, 2019, he told a reporter on Fox in order to get his sentence reduced. Cohen says, I ha- I'll have an idea. I'll I'll tell you I'll give information on the president. Well, there's no information, but he should give information maybe on his father-in-law because that's one of the people you want to look at because where does that money, that's the money in the family. Thank you. I'm sorry. I don't mean to interrupt with anything unimportant, but just that's a really good point. I think that Trump, another tactic he uses is saying, well, yeah, I did that bad thing, but look at that bad thing that someone else did. Obama never did that. I don't even know if Bill Clinton did that. I was too young. But like, I think the idea is that Trump is constantly saying, okay, you got me, but that guy is also bad. So, hey, what? Yeah, it's part of his strategy that Roger Roger Stone said, you know, when you're attacked, attack back and attack all their family and their friends. Um, And then Trump goes on to say, and I guess he didn't want to talk about his father-in-law. He's trying to get his sentence reduced. So uh, it's pretty sad. You know, it's weak and it's very sad to watch a thing like that. And all throughout January, Trump and Giuliani kept saying the same kind of stuff, that he was lying to reduce his sentence, uh, to watch his father-in-law, that he was using crooked Hillary's lawyer. Um, That same month, Giuliani admitted Trump kept working on Trump Tower Moscow throughout 2016. Remember that? He went on the interview and he yep. said, oh yeah, he did it through the whole end of the year probably. Yep. Wasn't the first stop Lube of the, the Lube truth, the yeah. Truth story? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, that was the opening night. Yep, yeah, that was opening night of Lube the Truth. And then oh, he ended God. up walking back those statements saying they were hypothetical only. Mm. And that I think is one of those things that lawyers do where they uh, say something and then Oh, strike that from the record, or the jury will disregard. But it's already out there in the air. And it doesn't work with real life like that, right? But this worked. It's what lubing the truth is. And and if you if you're new to the podcast, lubing the truth is when when Giuliani would come out and 
admit that the president did something wrong so that when the government comes out and admits uh, and says that this is wrong they've already heard it and so it's kind of old news oh mm-hmm. so some lawyers actually do say that like uh, what was that lawyer with Manafort or something it's called drawing the smoke or mm. whatever yeah it's a very common tactic yeah, you, they do it on purpose the they'll be like Oh, yeah, well, then aren't you, you know, where were you at four o'clock and blah, blah, blah. Doesn't that mean that you were home? And they'll go, objection. Um, never mind. Strike it from the record. Wow. But the jury's heard it already. Mm-hmm. It's it's a it's a tactic. That's impressive. And that's what lubing the truth is. Mm, well, when Rudy does it, it's not so Drawing the sting. Not <laughs> yeah, the he smoke. doesn't do it as gracefully as the movies. Movie and, lawyers, and then he yeah. walked it back. Well, these are hypothetical situations. <laughs> uh, so. That, that's all the evidence there. So let's get started with the analysis of the three criteria for obstruction. Um, and this is about the president's conduct toward Michael Cohen. It begins on page 153, and we'll start with the obstructive act. Uh, I'm just going to read it to you here. Mueller says, we gathered evidence of the president's conduct related to Cohen on two issues. Uh, one, whether the president or others aided or participated in Cohen's false statements to Congress. And two, whether the president took actions that would have the natural tendency to prevent Cohen from providing truthful information to the government. That's what obstruct- the obstructive acts that they're looking at. So on the first one, with regards to Cohen false statement, Cohen's false statements to Congress, while there is evidence described below that the president knew Cohen provided false testimony to Congress about the Trump Tower Moscow project, the evidence available to us does not establish that the president directed or aided Cohen's false testimony. Mm. Cohen said that his statements um, to Congress followed a party line that developed with the campaign to align with the president's public statements, distancing the president from Russia. Cohen also recalled that in speaking with the president in advance of testifying, he made it clear that he would stay on message, which Cohen believed they both understood would require false testimony. Yeah. How is it that you you can create a whole campaign in which case you have to speak in a certain way to align with that campaign and it is lies, but that doesn't constitute directing him to lie? <laughs> That's such a loophole, right? Yes. Like, I understand how you can't prosecute someone for creating a campaign that has a certain kind of messaging that you expect someone to adhere to, but that's just one of the ways that they have been able to insidiously do this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, that's actually kind of brilliant. That's a brilliant <laughs> yeah. defense. Very true. It's, it's told to stay on brand with our campaign, and our campaign is lies, but you can't get us for that. Yeah, especially if, you know, Trump didn't tell him directly. If, if the, the lies came through the lawyers, then it's like, then he's removed. Mm-hmm. And that's probably exactly how Pence protected himself, too. Wow. They are protected from the start. Yep. And so Cohen said that he and the president did not explicitly discuss whether Cohen's testimony uh, about the Trump Tower Moscow project would be or was false. And the president did not direct him to, to provide false testimony. Cohen also said that he did not tell the president about specifics of his planned testimony during the time when his statement to Congress was being drafted and circulated to members of the Joint Defense Agreement. Cohen did not speak directly to the president about the statement, but rather communicated with the president's personal counsel. That's exactly what we were just talking about. As corroborated by phone records showing extensive communications between Cohen's and president's personal counsel before Cohen submitted his statement uh, when he testified before Congress. And why they didn't uh, look into the lawyers for this, I, I'll, I'll never know. Right. I mean, if someone's going to go down, I mean, someone has to go, ga- go down, right? Why wouldn't they be the ones? No one ever has to go down. But if, oh, if, I guess if someone right, yeah. should go down in this, if because if Trump didn't do it and these lawyers directed him to do it, the lawyers should be held accountable. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if something, yeah, someone should should go down because there was a crime committed. <laughs> yeah, but I understand what you mean. Cohen it went could down. go either way. Yeah, no, you're right. Yeah. Yeah, I still feel like the lawyers are probably, well, he is one of the lawyers. But there's more, I'd imagine. Trump's right? lawyers. They yeah, should, they should yeah. be, I think that they should, they should probably have their licenses refined for that. I agree, because Cohen going down doesn't really hurt Trump if he, you know, I don't know, it doesn't seem to be enough. 
Yeah. Uh, And Cohen recalled in his discussions with the president's personal counsel on uh, August 27th, the day before Cohen's statement was submitted to Congress, Cohen said there were more communications with Russia and more communications with candidate Trump than the statement reflected. Cohen recalled expressing some concern at the time. And according to Cohen, the president's personal counsel, who did not have firsthand knowledge of the project, responded by saying there was no need to muddy the water, that it was unnecessary to include these details because the project did not take place and that Cohen should keep his statement short and tight. Not elaborate. Stay on message and don't contradict the president. Cohen's recollection of the content of those conversations is consistent with direction about the substance of Cohen's draft statement that appeared to come from members of the JDA, not Trump himself. So, for example, Cohen omitted any references to his outreach to the government officials set up a, then set up a meeting between Trump and Putin during the United, Nation, United Nations Grand Assembly. And Cohen believed it was a decision of the JDA to delete the sentence. The building project led me to make limited contacts with Russian government officials. So this is all the JDA. And so... You know, the Trump has his message, and if you down here conspire to stay on his lying message, it's not his lying message's fault, according to, you know, criminal law. Yeah. This is another example of a phrase that you should never get on board with. The first one being, everything's going to be fine, and the second one being, let's not muddy the waters. Ugh, I know, I hate that. Mm. It's um, like, oh, you mean you don't want more details? Yeah. You mean the thing that clarifies things and makes it so everyone knows what the fuck is going on? <laughs> okay, sure. Yeah. Let's not talk about that. Yeah. Don't rock the boat. Don't muddy the waters. Don't. <laughs> and everything's everything's going to be fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, the president's personal counsel declined to provide us with, uh, this is back to the Mueller report, declined to provide us with his account of the conversations with Cohen. And there is no evidence available to us that indicates the president was aware of the information Cohen provided to the president's personal counsel. Uh, the president's conversations with his personal counsel were presumpt- or, uh, presumptively protected by attorney-client privilege, and we did not seek to obtain the content of such communications. So that's the crux there. They couldn't ask Trump if he told his lawyers to tell Cohen to lie mm. because of attorney-client privilege. The absence of evidence about the president and his counsel's conversation um, uh, precludes us from asserting what, if any, role the president played. So no obstructive act there in getting Cohen to change his testimony. Mm. Second, we consider whether the president took actions that would uh, have a natural tendency to prevent Cohen from providing truthful information to the criminal investigators or to Congress. And I think this one is a yes. Uh, before Cohen began to cooperate with the government, the president publicly and privately urged Cohen to stay on message and not flip, in quotes. Cohen recalled the president's personal counsel telling him he would be protected as long as he didn't go rogue uh, in the days and weeks that followed April 28th, uh, the April 2018 searches of Cohen's home and office. The president told reporters Cohen was a good man, a fine person, wonderful family uh, who I've always liked and respected. Very different uh, from how he talked about his family after mm-hmm. he flipped. Uh, privately, the president told Cohen to hang in there and stay strong. Uh, people who were close to Cohen and the president passed messages to Cohen that the president loves you, the boss loves you, everyone knows the boss has your back. Um, through the president's personal counsel, the president also had uh, previously told Cohen, thanks for what you do. After Cohen provided information to the media about payments to women that, according to Cohen, both Cohen and the president knew were false. At that time... Uh, the Trump organization continued to pay Cohen's legal fees, which was important to Cohen. And Cohen... You got me into this mess. Yeah, yeah, which was important to Cohen. (laughs) Cohen also recalled discussing the possibility of a pardon with the president's personal counsel, who told him to stay on message, everything will be fine. The president indicated in his public statements that a pardon had not been ruled out. He also stated publicly, most people will flip if the government lets them out of trouble, but that he didn't see Michael doing that. 
and after it was reported that Cohen intended to cooperate with the government. The president accused Cohen of making up stories in order to get himself out of an unrelated jam, taxi cabs maybe, called Cohen a rat on multiple occasions, publicly suggesting Cohen, Cohen's family members had committed crimes. The evidence concerning this sequence of events could support an inference that the president used indictments uh, in the form of positive of uh, positive message in an effort to get Cohen not to cooperate and then turn to attacks and intimidation to deter the provision of information or to undermine Cohen's credibility once Cohen began cooperating. So that, I think, is a yes. So no on the lie into Congress that Trump directed it. Uh-huh. Yes, obstructive act on you trying to get Cohen to change his testimony. Daniel yeah, pardons. that sounds like the right interpretation <clears throat> of that. All right. Uh, we'll be right back with the nexus to an official proceeding intent and part L, the overarching factual issues. Hey, this is AG from Muller She Wrote, and I'm happy to announce the Neighborhood Watch is back. And it's way more convenient and it's high tech. And so you don't have to like go to those meetings and take time out of your schedule. It's super convenient. Um, you know, those because I remember growing up, your neighbors would meet like in, in your parents' garage like once a week, talk about things that were going on in the neighborhood, um, play cards, keep each other safe. Um, well, now the Neighborhood Watch is in an app on your phone and it's called Neighbors and it's by Ring. And that's the company behind those video doorbells with the Neighbors app. You receive real-time safety alerts from your neighbors in your neighborhood. It helps you stay informed about what's going on, and it's totally free. You don't even need to own a Ring device to participate. Uh, I downloaded the free app. I was able to set my neighborhood area using a really easy map filter. We kind of live in this little peninsula, um, so that's kind of the area I want to watch, and it's been great. I've gotten to know my neighbors. We've been able to recover lost pets and missing packages, and I know about any safety alerts nearby. Uh, So if you want to see what's going on in your neighborhood, text AGPOD to the number 555-888 to download the Neighbors app today. That's AGPOD to 555-888. Make your neighborhood safer today with the Neighbors app by Ring. You'll be glad you did. All right, welcome back. We're going to conclude this here. We're at the bottom of page 154 with nexus to an official proceeding, which states the president knew the special counsel office, special counsel's office and the U.S. attorney um, for Southern District were investigating Cohen's conduct. So, yep, we have a nexus to an official proceeding. That's easy peasy. Uh, as for intent... Uh, in analyzing the president's intent in actions towards Cohen as a potential witness, there's evidence that could support the inference that the president intended to discourage Cohen from cooperating uh, with the government because Cohen's information would shed adverse light on the president's campaign period conduct and statements. Cohen's false congressional testimony about Trump Tower Moscow uh, was designed to minimize connections between the president and Russia and help him limit congressional Department of Justice Russia investigations. And the goal was that uh, in the president's interest, as reflected by the president's own statements Uh, during and after the campaign, the president made repeated statements that he had no business in Russia, no deals. And Cohen knew. uh, And as he recalled communicating with the president during the campaign, Cohen's pursuit of the Trump Tower Moscow project cast doubt on the accuracy and completeness of his statements. So, uh, yes. And in connection with his guilty plea, Cohen admitted that he had multiple conversations with Trump to give him status updates about the Trump Tower project. Um, that the conversations continued through at least June 2016, and he discussed with Trump possible travel to Russia to pursue the project. The conversations were not offhand, according to Cohen, because the project had the potential to be super lucrative. And in addition, like $100 million at least, I think we heard. And then he, he was also offering that whole top floor penthouse to Putin. That came out later. 
Um, and in addition, text messages to and from Cohen and other records further established that Cohen's efforts to advance the project did not end in January, but that but more like May or June. And Cohen was considering the timing for trips to Russia by him and Trump in connection with the project. So that's why they were scheduled uh, around that time. Um, the evidence could support an inference that the president was aware of these facts at the time of Cohen's false statements to Congress. Cohen discussed the project with uh, the president in early 2017. Uh, Cohen recalled in September, the day after he released uh, to the public his opening remarks to Congress, um, that the president's personal counsel told him the president was pleased with what Cohen had said. And after Cohen's guilty plea, the president told reporters he had ultimately decided not to do the project, which supports the inference that he remained aware of his own involvement <laughs> in the project and the period. So, oopsie. In uh, subsection two, um, the president's public remarks following Cohen's guilty plea also suggest the president may have been concerned about what Cohen told investigators uh, about Trump Tower Moscow. Uh, at the time, Trump submitted written answers to questions from Mueller about the project and other subjects. Uh, the media had reported that Cohen was cooperating with the government, but Cohen had not yet pleaded guilty to making false statements. Uh, accordingly, <clears throat> it was not publicly known what information about the project uh, about the project that Cohen had provided to the government. And in his written answers, the president didn't provide details about the timing and substance of his, his discussions with Cohen and gave no indication he had decided to no longer pursue the project. Yet after Cohen pleaded guilty, the president all of a sudden remembered. He publicly stated he had personally made the decision to abandon the project. The president then declined to clarify uh, the seeming discrepancy to uh, our office or answer additional questions. And the content, timing and, uh, the content and timing of the president's provision of information about his knowledge regarding Trump Tower is evidence that the president may have been concerned about the information that Cohen could provide as a witness. So, yes, yes, yes. And then subsection three, Trump's concern about Cohen cooperating may have been directed at the Southern District of New York investigation into other aspects of the president's dealings um, outside of Trump Tower Moscow. There's also evidence the president's concern about Cohen cooperating was based on the president's stated belief that Cohen would provide false testimony against the president. So when he always kept saying, you know, they'll just make up a story. That shot, he shot himself in the foot there. Mm -hmm. The president tweeted that Manafort, unlike Cohen, refused to break and make up stories. And after Cohen pleaded guilty to making false statements to Congress, the president said Cohen's trying to get a reduced sentence. So he's lying about a project that everybody knew about. That the president also appeared to defend the underlying contact, con uh, conduct, saying even if Cohen was right, it doesn't matter because I was allowed to do whatever I wanted. Uh, as described above, there is evidence the president knew that Cohen had made false statements about Trump Tower Moscow, so his big mouth got him in trouble. Uh, and he did so to protect the president and minimize the president's connection to Russia during the campaign. And finally, uh, Trump's statements insinuating members of Cohen's family committed crimes after Cohen began cooperating could be viewed as an effort to retaliate against Cohen and chill further testimony. Um, you know, made up stories in order to get a deal for himself, get his wife and his father-in-law off scot-free, all those statements that he made. It's also possible that the president's uh, mention of Cohen's wife and father-in-law were not intended to affect Cohen as a witness, but rather were part of a public relations strategy aimed at discrediting Cohen and deflecting attention away from the president. But the president's suggestion that Cohen's family members committed crimes happened more than once, including just before Cohen was sentenced. Um, when he said at the same time, the president said, uh, should, in my opinion, serve a full and complete sentence. And again, just before he was scheduled to testify before Congress. And the timing of the statement supports an inference that they were intended, at least in part, to discourage Cohen from, from uh, further cooperation. So his compulsion to talk when things go bad and the things that he says are what have, has gotten him in trouble for the intent here. And that's 
basically the analysis. So it sounds like we have obstruction, we have an obstructive act, but not in the changing uh, of the joint defense agreement statement to Congress, but in the way that Trump uh, spoke about Cohen, Mm -hmm. we have a nexus to a a proceeding and we do have intent. So this meets all three. So Very there's, nice. There, there's two acts in here. The act of, of Cohen, of, of, you know, changing Cohen, changing his testimony and Trump directing him, quote unquote, to do so. And then the other act is, you know, the, the trying to get him to dangle pardons and be nice to him when he's doing the right thing and then yeah. being a jerk to him after he flips. And Stuff so that would affect what he says. So there's kind of two acts in this one thing. And, and one of them doesn't meet all three criteria. The other one does. Cool. Yeah. Well. Hopefully Cy Vance can get in on that. (laughs) Yeah, and I think that he's going to get a lot of information, too. I I remember after Cohen went to jail, he's like, I got a lot more stuff. I have more stuff. Right. (laughs) It's essential. Um, And then we have this last part here, part L, and that's the overarching factual issues. Uh, Although this report does not contain traditional prosecutorial decisions or declination decisions, the evidence supports several general conclusions relevant to analysis of the facts concerning the president's course of conduct. <clears throat> so, number one, three features of this case render it atypical uh, compared to Heartland, the Heartland obstruction of justice prosecutions brought by the Department of Justice. First, the conduct involved is, is actions by the president. <laughs> uh, some of the conduct did not implicate the president's constitutional authority and raises garden variety obstruction of justice issues. Other events we investigated, however, drew upon the president's Article II authority, which raised constitutional issues that we will address in Volume 2, Section 3B. A factual analysis of that conduct would have to take into account both the president's acts um, were facially lawful and that his position as head of the executive branch provides him with unique and powerful means of influencing official proceedings, subordinate officers and potential witnesses. Um, Second, many obstruction cases involved in basically what that's saying is this is unique because it involves the president. And some of this is run of the mill obstruction stuff, but others we have to address because he's the president. And we'll do that in Section 3, Part B. Um, Second, many obstruction cases involve the attempted or actual cover up of an underlying crime. Personal criminal conduct can furnish strong evidence that the individual had improper obstructive purpose. Uh, But I think what he's getting at here, it, it can is that. There wasn't an underlying crime here. Uh, In this investigation, the evidence does not establish the president was involved in underlying crime related to Russian election interference. But the evidence does point to a range of other possible personal motives animating the president's conduct. These include concerns that continued investigation would call into question the legitimacy of his election and potential uncertainty about whether certain events, such as advance notice of WikiLeaks release, hacked information on the June 9th, 2016 meeting between senior campaign officials in Russia, could be seen as criminal activity by the president, his campaign, or his family. So while there's they're basically saying you don't need an underlying crime to be guilty of obstruction of justice and third many of the president's acts directed at witnesses including discouragement of cooperation with the government and suggestions of possible future pardons occurred in public view while it may be more difficult to establish that public facing acts were motivated by corrupt intent the president's power to influence actions persons and events is enhanced by his unique ability to attract attention through the use of mass communications and no principle of law this is important. No principle of law excludes public acts from the scope of obstruction statutes. Nice. So, I like that. That's a good uh, paragraph to point people to when they make that argument. Yes, because we hear that a lot, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, no, why he did it out in broad daylight. You can't. 
like people only rob banks at night. I right. think we've had that discussion. Um, so that I think that's a really important point. And then number two here, although the events Mueller investigated involved discrete acts, i.g. the president's statement to Comey about the Flynn investigation, uh, his termination of Comey, his efforts to remove special counsel, it's important to view the president's pattern of conduct as a whole. The pattern sheds light on the nature of the president's acts and the inferences that can be drawn about his intent. Um, subsection A here, underpants A. Uh, our investigation found multiple acts by the president that were capable of exerting undue influence over law enforcement investigations, including the Russian interference and obstruction investigations. These incidents were often carried out through one-on-one -on -one meetings in which the president sought to use his official power outside of usual channels. These actions range from efforts to remove the special counsel, to reverse the effect of the attorney general's recusal, to attempted use of official power to limit the scope of the investigation, to direct and indirect contacts with witnesses and the potential to influence their testimony. Viewing these acts collectively can help to illuminate their significance. For example, the president's direction to McGahn to have the special counsel removed was followed almost immediately by his direction to Lewandowski to tell Attorney General to limit the scope. Um, a temporal connection suggests both acts were taken with a related purpose with respect. So now we're getting into synergy. These acts aren't just the acts alone. And even though they rise to the level of obstruction of justice on their own, when you take them in conjunction with another, you're even you're pumping up even more how obstructiony these acts were. The president's efforts to influence the investigation were mostly unsuccessful, but that is largely because the persons who surrounded the president declined to carry out orders or to accede to his requests. Comey did not end the Flynn, Flynn investigation, which ultimately resulted in Flynn's prosecution and conviction for lying to the FBI. Uh, McGahn did not tell the acting attorney general that the special counsel must be removed, but was instead prepared to resign over the president's order. Lewandowski and Dearborn did not deliver the president's message to, message to Sessions so that he could confine the Russia investigation to future elections only. And McGahn refused to recede from his recollections about uh, events surrounding the president's direction to have Mueller fired, despite the president's multiple demands that he do so. And consistent with that pattern, the evidence we obtained would not support potential obstruction of justice charges against the president's aides and associates beyond those already filed <clears throat> b in considering the full scope of the conduct we investigated the president's actions can be divided into two phases reflecting a possible shift in presidential motives in the first phase before the president fired comey uh, bc before comey <laughs> the president had been assured that the fbi had not opened an investigation of him personally the president deemed it critically important to make public he was not under investigation, and he included that information in his termination letter to Comey after efforts to have it not on there. <laughs> like, no, we shouldn't put that Russia stuff in there. No, do it. Um, soon after he fired Comey, the president became aware that investigators were conducting an obstruction of justice inquiry into his own conduct. That's after Comey. The awareness marked a significant change in the president's conduct at the start of the second phase of action. The president launched public attacks on the investigation and individuals involved who could possess evidence adverse to the president. While in private, the president engaged in a series of targeted efforts to control the investigation. So, for instance, Trump attempted to remove Mueller. He sought to have uh, sessions on recuse himself and limit the investigation. He sought to prevent public disclosure of information about the June 9, 2016 Trump Tower meeting. Uh, he used public forums to attack potential witnesses uh, who might, you know, offer adverse information uh, and cooperate with the government. And judgments about the nature of the president's motives during each phase would be informed by the totality of the evidence. And that's an important statement right there. Um, uh, that's it for the obstruction and overarching facts in volume two. So I, I really love that last statement, though. The judgment about the nature of the president's motives during each phase would be informed by the totality of the evidence. 
Yeah, me too. It's uh, like the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. Right. It it, it is also a bit cryptic, as well, which mm-hmm. is interesting. Yeah. Right. Because it's like, well, you're not saying that he should be indicted. You're just saying we should not take any of this lightly. But to what end? Yeah, and and he's met multiple criteria on multiple individual facts, but when you look at it totally, it's way worse mm-hmm. than these individual criminal acts, and that they rise to the you know meet all three criteria. <clears throat> yeah, it's a bit of a cliffhanger. Yeah, it it, it that's exactly what the Mueller report was. Yeah, he just you know, like like Jalisa says, threw the mic to Congress. Mm-hmm. Um, and so next week, we're going to be going over sections three and four, which include the legal defenses to the application of obstruction of justice um, and the ultimate conclusion. And the conclusion for the whole thing is like five sentences long. <laughs> uh, we make it to the back matter in the next the next episode. We'll see. We'll see how long it goes. We'll see how we're feeling. Um, but we've only got, you know, maximum two episodes left of the Mueller report. So any Not final bad. thoughts? Yeah. Um, just hearing all this, it was making me think about the fact that I'm always wondering what the solution is, right? We always discuss like potential solutions. And sometimes I think it's changing the law, you know, because Trump was able to just skate by by knowing the law, maybe tweaking it with throw off criminals like him. But at the same time, I see the law applied, I guess, more reasonable laws apply or abused in other circumstances, like with a poor person or a brown person. So like the problem still seems to boil down to not just like the laws as they're written, but the people in power. Like it's, I guess it points to Trump again being the symptom and not just the source. Yeah. Even though he's a really fucking annoying symptom. (laughs) And you're right. That's exactly what it says on the outside of the Supreme Court in the United States is equal justice under the law for every, Mm -hmm. every, everyone equal justice under the law. And I think one of our, serious problems and I hope that somebody brings this up in a dem debate is we have to get rid of that office of legal counsel memo that says you can't indict a sitting president for sure that's, yeah that's certain adjustments one. to the law will definitely make a difference like that one and then and I also, think what you're getting to is like yeah. the volume one stuff mm-hmm. like uh, it shouldn't there should have been a crime in volume one yeah not just a crime but just like if the crime's committed then then that person needs to go like there's a sense of corruption here that the law doesn't seem to have a you know actual barrier to that yeah. is like the bigger problem well we I, do have it it's called Congress and it's called impeachment and it is the only remedy to remove a president I guess what I mean is the people yeah the overall body of people Are you talking about the power in general yeah, even yeah. if there's like democrats that play it too safe i think that's problematic as well i'm Not, with you on that like yeah. what kushner and uh, jr and bannon just letting them get by with this because you know oh our hands are tied it's like well you know i don't know untie your hands like you're congress yeah. i don't know i get i get that there are barriers to this and the whole idea is like there's supposed to be checks and balances but at a certain point democrats have to say well the game is not being played as it should have been so we are we have a moral obligation again it's back to morality how, how do you can't force that on someone so you know here we are yeah and and we also have to remember though that there is an entire parallel counterintelligence investigation into these guys that they may be guilty of some stuff and we're just never going to know about it that's also depressing yes, uh, yes. yeah because like what are the what are the punishments for that right I just hope that, like Warren says, big structural change. Yes. And Bernie. He doesn't say that exact phrase, but he says the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, I'm He's all for, for it. it. We need, like, I know it sounds cheesy. We need a revolution. And I don't have all the answers. I'll get back to you guys. I don't know. I can't imagine. <laughs> Let's try voting. Let's yeah. try voting. Uh, sure. I if we can at least get half the country to vote. Completely. I also feel like we need to do something more than that. But I agree that voting's important. If we could get more than 19% of this country to show up and vote, 
I mean, I, I don't know how you're going to get a revolution going if nobody will even walk to the polls and cast well, a vote. I, th- I think voting's a part of it. I don't think it's the whole revolution, no, right? of course not. Yeah, that's what I mean. No. Jordan. Talking about what the unfairness of sentencing, I think, basically of, like, white-collar crimes and, I don't know, blue-collar crimes? Mm-hmm. <laughs> totally, yeah. That's what they, yeah. Blue. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a huge difference there is white-collar crimes proving intent is so much more difficult than being, like, we found your weed bowl. It's is right that by here. Design, though, because I think and, some. I'm no, sorry, it's I'm just so because the crimes are the crimes. Right. I and think th- some people get sprinkled like drugs though on them though. Right. That's not just a stereotype. It's like one hundred. Okay. Let's one, talk about people who are just guilty of the crimes. Yeah. I'm somebody just, who's guilty of tax fraud is way harder to prove than somebody who is guilty of having weed in there. Yes. House. And my point is that Unless they say they smell it. Right. Yeah. My point is that there's so much inherent privilege, and I brought this up in our live show, in that you literally have to be a wealthy elite to even commit these crimes. <laughs> and once you do commit them, it's so hard to prove because it's so fucking shady and it's not tangible. That's it's almost, like you, yeah. you, you only have documents, which are... And you probably don't even have documents a lot of the times. Right. Like Mueller didn't have documents that he needed to get, but he couldn't get because of whatever They're privilege that resources. Trump would try to claim. Yeah, it almost seems like that's the part that's by design. If it didn't start that way, I think there's enough corruption and money and power at this point to have you know, abuse that so much to where it's like, hey, if people like us get in trouble, let's make it so the law is way easier on us. Like, I think that's something that's probably just been developed no but the, co- the complexity of it too because i mean like trying to prove that there was a broader conspiracy or coordination with intent to hack our elections is a lot harder than trying to prove i stole a television from mm-hmm. sears yeah and I, I, also the evidence is easier to not only prove but to your point to also fabricate and frame someone else i with, think it's subjective is, right yeah i get what you're saying in this case it actually is true that that it's harder to pinpoint these specific crimes that we just discussed and then i think to someone who like you said might have like stolen a tv and then you're like well it's easy to prove they stole it or not right and i'm like well that's where corruption comes into play and people decide whether or not evidence is evidence oh and, yeah i'm not talking yeah. about the corruption of the justice system right that's, that's totally what I was, a separate yeah yeah issue. that's just what i'm on i'm sorry i'm, I'm still just, on that. i think what jordan's talking about is the ease of proving crimes in a perfect justice system yes it's just way existentially easier. you have to be super the, rich to even yes. start to commit a white collar crime and that right. makes it easier for you and to get cr- off right. the hook and that whole thing sort of yeah subsumes together and it's it, it makes for this extra synergistic racism in the system yes then you add corruption to it and that's a whole other double yeah yes. well the reason what i was the corruption yeah 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 what i was saying is you know previously referencing again in a perfect quote-unquote justice system now talking about a more corrupt justice system like you were talking about with something that's like physical evidence it is a lot easier to physically plant a pipe in front of another person as opposed right? to taking someone's data or something exactly or trying or trying know. yeah i guess you're right about that on the surface but i also feel like maybe there's a reason why it's like you're right about that and then also maybe well, she's it ha- saying it, it makes the corruption easier the against against totally it makes, the it makes the corruption easier and i feel like there there are decisions that are being made in, for, in order for that to be the case like yeah you could actually tweak it but then forensic accountings will have to come in you know like that would have to be a whole thing but yeah it's possible like you're right and and putting a pipe down is simple but i also feel like yeah i guess what i'm boiling down is to that whole big structural change thing it's so hard to pinpoint it to a specific example but i think we're all in agreement with the idea that there's corruption with white collar and blue collar crimes in terms of how they are 
you know, yep. process. And it's easier to be corrupt against blue collar crimes because they're simpler crimes. It's harder to be corrupt against white collar crimes. People who commit white collar crimes get shorter and mitigated sentences. Oh, it's harder to frame them. I it's see what you're saying. It's harder to frame them. That's what, yeah, that's what yeah, I that think. Yeah, that makes at. total sense. And then I guess with that, in that sense, are you saying like you just, is that uh, like a devil's advocate thing? Like, are you just saying like you're, you're like, or you can't believe that like they're not being charged because. No, it what she's saying so is it's obvious. unfair to people who commit blue collar crimes because it's so much easy, more easily corruptible than white collar crimes. Yeah, yes. yeah, that makes total sense. Yeah. I understand. Yeah, that's just that's inherent in a, in a bad system of justice, and we need large structural change, like you say. I think we're gonna um, get that with the Democrat, whoever it is. Um, some Democrats more than others, but you know, not gonna get into that. Um, but I, I I agree, and we need to put, give some of these no- what used to be ethical norms. We have to give them teeth. We have to make them rules, as Richard Painter was saying on our show. Uh, and we just, you know, we have to, our, you know, our number one, our number one priority should be to just get out and vote uh, mm-hmm. and get as many people as you can to vote and vote blue and vote blue all the time, all the way down the ticket, because we aren't going to be able to make any changes whatsoever uh, if we don't. That's yep. true. Yeah. And then hope that our vote counts, because that is the case that our vote is supposed to be the most important thing. And it is and it should. But then I feel like Putin's like he knows that's our play. And I'm like, damn, then what's our plan B? We don't have one yet. Really? There right? is nothing our president can't, yeah, we can do without. about there's nothing we can do about our votes being changed or hacked or anything. Um, that doesn't mean you like what I'm saying is. That you can say, I say everyone show up and vote. Yeah, but what if your vote doesn't count? It doesn't matter. You still have to show up and vote. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you still have to show up and vote. I think it matters, but yes, you should still show up and I'm vote. I'm not saying it doesn't matter. Right, what I'm right. saying is it shouldn't matter to whether or not you vote. Exactly. That remains. Definitely vote. On top of that, to those that, that are saying, okay, if I vote, then what? Like they still have that anxiety. And I know that we, we're not therapists. We can't like relieve every tension. But I think the idea is that if we lose because of Russian interference, then yes, we'll have something else to address, just like what happened in 2016. Like I, I fear that possibility happening again. Sure, like literally, voting in numbers too big to manipulate is our plan to that. I also feel like maybe, I don't know, maybe the resistance should be thinking of another plan too. I, I'm not really good at thinking after plans. the election. Well, just in case we lose to voter manipulation again, like the same thing we lost to before, but like tenfold. Uh, my my plan is to move. <laughs> okay no now, now we're talking that's a, honestly I, I don't want to believe that's what's going to happen because i'm going to come out voting i'm going to register my friends and all that but i'm worried that we're we have a blind spot because we're so hopeful that yeah i'm just yeah. i'm just saying don't let that worry of your vote not counting prevent you from voting i agree totally um, it should make you want to vote more unfortunately we only get one vote. yeah no seriously <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I think there should be that should be part of reparations. Is yeah, the people yeah. Of color should Obama, get two votes save us. We need you. <laughs> I think I think he might have a plan. He's been at this rodeo before. He knows what he's doing. He's, uh, he was. The I guy. needed him more in 2016, but I mean, we'll see best. what happens. Yeah. All right, that's the show, guys. Any uh, any last final thoughts before I sign off? Well, that was it. Yeah. No. All right, wonderful. Well, you guys, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. I've been Ag. I've been Jaleesa Johnson. I've been Jordan Coburn, and this is Mueller. She wrote. Muller She Wrote is produced and engineered by AG with editing and logo design by Jaleesa Johnson. Our marketing consultant and social media manager is Sarah Lee Steiner, and our subscriber and communications director is Jordan Coburn. Fact-checking and research by AG, and research assistance by Jaleesa Johnson and Jordan Coburn. Our merchandising managers are Sarah Lee Steiner and Sarah Hirschberger Valencia. Our web design and branding are by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios, and our website is MullerSheWrote.com. 
Season four of How We Win is here. For the past four years, we've been making history in critical elections all over the country. And last year, we made history again by expanding our majority in the Senate, beating election-denying Republicans in crucial state house races, and fighting back a non-existent red wave. But the MAGA Republicans who plotted and pardoned the attempted overthrow of our government now control the House, thanks to gerrymandered maps and repressive anti-voter laws. And the chaotic spectacle we've already seen shows us just how far they will go to seize power, dismantle our government, and take away our freedoms. So the official podcast of The Persistence is back with season four. There's so much more important work ahead of us to fight for equity, justice, and our very democracy itself. We'll take you behind the lines and inside the rooms where it happens with strategy and inspiration from progressive changemakers all over the country. And we'll dig deep into the weekly news that matters most and what you can do about it with messaging and communications expert, co-founder of Way to Win, and our new co-host, Jennifer Fernandez-Ancona. So join Steve and I every Wednesday for your weekly dose of inspiration, action, and hope. I'm Steve Pearson. And I'm Jennifer Fernandez-Ancona. And this is How We Win. MSW Media. Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven-part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns, and Money that'll challenge everything you think you know about U.S. covert operations and presidential misconduct. From Jack Bryan, the director of American PSYOP, comes the incredible true story of John Mattis, a newly sworn-in Miami public defender in the 1980s who has found himself completely in over his head. I step off the plane, and there is a van with a couple guys with Uzis. And one of them in broken English said, welcome to Bogota, John. Mattis's first felony defendant has been arrested for having a machine gun and tells Mattis a dangerous secret. He was shipping arms into Central America on behalf of the CIA. As a first-time lawyer, I want to act like I know what I'm doing. But with the help of a Colombian drug smuggler, how much money the CIA raised by hitting up drug dealers? A lot of money, millions of dollars. An Alabama mercenary. They were prepared to die to the last man. I saw this in them. I saw the fire in their eyes. And they made me their war chief. And a newly elected senator, John Kerry. We are looking at allegations of drug running, gun smuggling, conspiracy to commit murder and murder itself. He'll fight to free his client. The judge said, Show me, in a courtroom, how we were at war. Expose an illegal war being run by the White House. I mean, I wanted him involved, but I didn't want to be on record as doing it. And somehow stay alive in the process. I just escaped a kidnapping by the CIA in Costa Rica. This is Lawyers, Guns, and Money. So you have a man in Armani suit standing on the bow of a boat with a rocket launcher and says, if I lose sight of you, I will launch. You will be vaporized. Available everywhere starting October 29th, or get it ad-free and early starting October 22nd at lawyersgunsandmoney.supercast.com. There you'll find bonus episodes along with exclusive content. 
Subscribe now.